1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God, that's confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Now, different cities are famous for different reasons. So, the um, city of Oxford is famous for its academic success. The city of New York is famous for making money and for business. The city of Beijing, famous for political power. And it was the same in the ancient world. Back in the first century, the city of Corinth had a reputation too. The Corinthians were proud of their success. Corinth was a port, and the city was awash with money and with prosperity. And they also boasted of their sexual freedom. To Corinthianize was a slogan for an anything-goes attitude to sex. And they were a spiritual city, full of temples and tolerant of all religions. And yet, incredibly, in the middle of this city, a church began. The Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, stayed there for 18 months, sharing the good news of Jesus, and people believed his message. They confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. They witnessed to others about the life and forgiveness and freedom that he offered. But soon, problems emerged. Because while this was the church of God in Corinth, they became more Corinthian and less Christian as time went on. You could say they were in Corinth and of Corinth. And just like the culture around them, the church split into different factions and started following different leaders. Church members fell out with each other to such an extent that they began to take each other to court. The rich despised the poor. When it came to sex, someone was sleeping with his own stepmom. Some in the church, just like their neighbors, didn't believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. The list went on and on. And so Paul wrote this letter to deal with those problems, but actually to tackle something deeper than that. Because at the heart of all of this were two big issues. Meism and nowism. Meism, living for Jesus, instead of living with Jesus as their Lord, the Corinthians were living with themselves as Lord. They thought they were great, better than any other church. And many within the church boasted about themselves. 
They followed what they wanted to do. And nowism, instead of living for the future that Jesus had secured, they lived for the now. The present was all that mattered. Like, what else was there? It was the let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die attitude. Now, why am I telling you all this? Isn't Ebbs like the church in Corinth? Well, yes, in the sense that all churches face the challenge of how we relate to our culture. Now, in our case, our culture has been shaped by Christianity. And it's also a culture that can draw us away from the Christian faith. And we believe that the Christian faith fulfills many of the longings of our culture. And our culture, too, is marked by meism and nowism. We live in the world of the selfie, of you do you, of look inside yourself to decide right and wrong, that you have your truth and I have my truth. And we live in the world of now. The latest is the greatest, the newest is the truest. This life is all there is. And these aren't simply marks of our culture out there. They mark our own lives too. They shape our lives as Christians and as a church. It's easy to absorb them. So they're Corinthian issues and there are issues. And so what Paul said to them then is relevant for us today. What he says will enable us to follow Jesus as Lord and to live as God's church in Oxford. And that's where the first nine verses of this chapter come in. Because rather than simply telling them off for all of their problems, Paul wants the Corinthians to see a person. Ten times in these verses, Paul mentions Jesus. He wants us to see that the Lord Jesus is greater than me, and now that Jesus is worth following. That the way to change from the inside out, the way to stay loyal, to be distinctive, is to have our hearts won over by who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So three things tonight. First of all, you belong to Jesus. The first three verses. <clears throat> Your identity comes from Jesus, not primarily from yourself. Paul shared the gospel with the Corinthians, and they believed his message, and God changed their hearts, giving them new life, forgiving their sins, filling them with his spirit. And so they're now the church of God in Corinth. They are Jesus' people. And Paul knew what they were like. Later on in the chapter, he wrote, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. They were ordinary people, but God called them into fellowship with his son. He sanctified them in Christ Jesus, which means he set them apart for himself. He forgave their sin and guilt. He made them clean and his. They were like this cup. This cup is sanctified. It's set apart. 
You won't find it in the kitchen there in the church centre. You won't find it on the refreshments table at the back. You'll find it on this table at the front. It's for HC, Holy Communion. It's not for the other HC which we're serving tonight, hot chocolate. <laughs> so if at the end of the service you see me at the back greeting you as you leave through the door with this cup in my hand and hot chocolate in it, you will say to me, what are you doing? That's not what it's for. It's not what it's been set apart for. Paul reminds the Corinthians, God sanctified you in Christ Jesus and called you to be his holy people. So live out who you are. Show to others who you belong to. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He lives in you. You bear his name. So be the people God set you apart to be. It is an immense privilege to be in fellowship with him. And this isn't just true of the Corinthians only. Verse 2. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The Corinthians in their meism thought that they were better than any other church. There was one rule for the others and a different one for them. And throughout this letter, Paul stresses to them that you belong to Jesus and the holy living he called others to, you are called to as well. And for us tonight, if you're a Christian here, you belong to Jesus. We have been set apart so that people can see Jesus in us and come to know him through us. And maybe we need to say sorry to him for not valuing that as we should, for taking it for granted, for devaluing it, by combining belonging to Jesus with trying to belong to our culture, with living for me and now. And it's an immense privilege to belong to Jesus' church. We have fellowship with him, and so we have fellowship with each other, with people across the centuries and with each other here tonight. Like, look around this room. What fundamentally unites you with the people beside you, behind you, in front of you, is not a shared ethnicity, or that you went to the same school or university, or that you have interests in, in common, or share the same politics, or have the same gender. Who fundamentally unites you is Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And that's true of other churches in this city. We praise God that others call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ because they belong to him too. And it unites us with believers around the world. For too long, the church in the West has acted as if it has all the answers and that its resources mean that it can call the shots. 
We need the global church to learn from brothers and sisters elsewhere to serve together because we belong together to the same Lord Jesus Christ. So we belong to Jesus. Then secondly, you're enriched by Jesus. Given how much heartache the Corinthians would cause Paul, he still wrote verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Like that's the reason this church existed and why any church exists, God's grace to us in Jesus. No one deserves God's salvation or membership of his people or their sins forgiven. It's not something that you have achieved or earned or been rewarded for. It's a gift from God. And it's not because we're better than anyone else, more worthy with more potential, it's all of grace, God's undeserved favor. And the Corinthians were proud. Some felt superior to others. Others felt inferior and felt envious. And they were divided, wanting status from their different leaders, following their own selfish desires. And Paul reminds them they only belong at all because of God's grace. And that they were enriched by that same grace, verse 5. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. That many of the Corinthians were financially wealthy, but they were spiritual millionaires. That God's grace is so rich, so lavishly poured out by God, that they don't lack any spiritual gift. God confirmed the gospel message by giving them all that they needed to live for him. And Paul highlights speech and knowledge in verse 5 because they were the, those were the things that Corinthians really valued and they were a source of tension and conflict but they didn't come from within them, from their character or their education nor from the culture around them. They came from Jesus in fact, you have been enriched in every way. Over the page in, in chapter 4, Paul writes, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? This grace was like your smartphone. Many of us have smartphones. They are incredible pieces of technology. I discovered this week that the latest iPhone has 100,000 times the processing power of the computer that put the first man on the moon. Now, my phone has many functions that I don't need. And yet, you know, with a tap, with a swipe, I can stream music, write memos, play games, take photos, control bits of equipment at home, even talk to people. 
and much, much more. And the manufacturers have made it that way for it to have far more than I need so that I lack nothing and so I keep using their phones. Now some of you can't live without your smartphone. You depend on it so much. Well, how much more with God's wonderful grace? I had to pay for my phone. God's grace is free. And when Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't diminish you or crush you or dismiss you. His grace enriches you, enabling us to live for him, content because you have all that you need in Christ. So God's grace levels us in the meism of our culture where we publicize and define and live for ourselves when we're worried about whether we're as beautiful or as talented or as connected as that other person. God's grace doesn't work like that. He loves us because we're his church. He loves us equally and fully and forever. And his grace lifts us. We're enriched by Jesus just as he determines and he makes no mistakes. God has blessed St. Ebbs with people and gifts and resources and property and influence, but they must never become a source of pride, but of gratitude. They are God's gifts to us. And we can look at other churches and we can thank God for them and we can learn from them because we're not perfect. We have blind spots and weaknesses and sins and we're praying for God to change us. But may God keep us from feeling superior or inferior to others. It's all of grace. You're enriched by Jesus. And then finally, your future with Jesus, verses 7 and 9. God was powerfully at work in the Corinthians, past and present, and he had secured their future for them as well. Verse 7, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, he will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. One day Jesus will return, and he will be revealed as the judge and saviour, and all wrongs will be righted, by his perfect justice. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And he will transform us and our world. And Paul looks forward to that day and he's confident that the Corinthians will be a part of it, which is pretty extraordinary when we learn more about the mess of this church and its faults and failures. But Paul knew that they will be declared blameless on that day, not guilty when they stand before Jesus, because it is Jesus who has sanctified them, and it is with Jesus that they have fellowship, and so it is with Jesus that they will enjoy the future. Listen to those three beautiful words. God is faithful. He's the God who makes and keeps his promises. In the Old Testament, he promised that a saviour would come 
and Jesus came into the world. Throughout his life, Jesus was confident that when he died for our sins, that God the Father would raise him from the dead, and he did. And because he lives, we will live also. And what God says he will do, he is faithful. The Corinthians' future depends on God, not on them. That entering into this future with Jesus is not like you moving up a grade at school or at college by passing exams or enjoying a promotion because you interviewed well or you had a successful performance review. Jesus has done it for us. Now, that doesn't mean that the Corinthians can live as they want or deny that they even a future with Jesus. Paul will have plenty to say about that in the pages to come. But it does mean that God's character is the guarantee that they will make it. His grip on them is stronger than their grip on him. And as his church, and as this church, and so as this church keeps buying kept buying into the meism and nowism of their day, Paul reminds them, the Lord Jesus Christ is greater. He's worth living for. He's worth waiting for. And the same is true for us. It's so easy to get caught up in the now. Maybe life is hard now. Maybe because of your family or your health, or work, or relationships, or friendships, and it takes you a real effort to get to the end of the week. Or maybe you're conscious of your sin, and regrets, and guilt, and failure nag away at you. Will God give up on me? I'm not a very good Christian. Or as a church, the road ahead with the Church of England will be bumpy and uncertain, and unpleasant, is it worth it? God is faithful. He has a future planned for you with Jesus, and he will keep us firm to the end. He is holding on to you. He's holding on to us. And it's easy to absorb the values of our culture of the nowism, to think that this world is all there is. Live your best life now, because it's your only one. And Paul reminds us, your future's with Jesus. So hold those values of our culture up to eternity. See how Jesus fulfills them. Make decisions now with that future in view. Don't settle for the status quo now. Eagerly wait for his coming, for his day, for your future. So as we head out into this week, see how great Jesus is. He's worth living and worth waiting for. You belong to Jesus. You're enriched by Jesus. Your future's with Jesus. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up. Perhaps reflect on your belonging with Jesus. 
how he's enriched you and us or your future with him. And then I'll lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for calling us into fellowship with your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that we have in him. Sanctified, fellowship, enriched in every way. Thank you for the future that lies ahead of us with him. So please help us this week to live with our eyes fixed on him. Not to live for me or for now but for our Saviour, grateful for all that he has done for us and for who he is. Please help us, we pray. In his name we ask it. Amen.